And if you would please take out your copies of God's Word and turn with, with us to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, that's page 1163. Page 1163. As we turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. Do listen carefully, because this is God's word that is for you. Verse 14 says, Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God shall abide forever. By his grace and mercy, may his word be preached to you. Let us pray as we ask his blessing on our text today. Oh God, we do thank you for this immensely practical passage. As we look at your word and see how it is that you have provided for us for that which we really need. So I pray that we would hear, that we would believe, and that we would take up these gifts that you have given to us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are in the midst of our series on Ephesians, getting close here to the end. As we have been looking at Paul's letter, it began in the first three chapters with all the gifts that God has given to us. He has predestined us. He has saved us. He's united us to Christ and to each other. Not by works that we've done, but simply by grace through faith. And then we've seen in the second half of this letter, uh, chapters 4 through 6, of, well, what now? We've received all these gifts. What do we do with them? And here, as we get into Ephesians chapter 6, we're being told that we're at war. There is a spiritual conflict going on. And we talked about... Uh, Two weeks ago, how often we can prepare for natural disasters and the things of this life, things that are statistically actually quite rare and unlikely to happen to any one of us individually. But we've seen here in Ephesians 6 and 10 and following that all of us are going to encounter spiritual warfare, every single one of us in some way, shape or form every day. So what are we to do? Here is what Paul tells us. And what's interesting is that it's not things that we do, but it's gifts that God has given to us in order to carry on this conflict. So we saw in our in two weeks ago as we introduced this that we're not fighting against flesh and blood, against people. We don't pull out physical swords to deal with our problems, but instead we have these spiritual weapons, spiritual defenses that he gives to us. And here in verse 14, as commentators point out, this command to stand is the controlling command for all the rest of the, these pieces of armor. How is it that we stand? How do we stand firm, therefore? All what we're about to read. So, 
what he's going to tell us in, in order, in the way that someone would put on their armor back in the Roman times. He would go through what it is, what does it mean to stand firm on the ground that Christ has already won. So we're going to look in our two points today, as you can see in your outline in the back of the prayer guide. Point number one, we are commanded to stand with righteousness in an evil world. To stand with righteousness in an evil world, but secondly, to stand with peace in the midst of war. We're going to look at how these pieces of armor each contribute to those points as we have them. So here, standing with righteousness in an evil world, Paul begins on his first piece of armor with a belt. Now, most of us don't think about a belt in terms of armor, mostly because our clothes are a lot different now than they used to be at that time. So they didn't have these nice individually wrapped legs like we have today. You would have had a long flowing tunic as a part of your wardrobe. Well, that does not make for a very good uh, fighting costume. It was tended to tangle you up and get in the way if you're trying to move around freely in the battlefield. So what you would do is you would pull all of these things together and loop them into a belt so that your legs would be free to move around as much as you needed to. Now what's interesting when he talks about this, having fastened on the belt of truth. Well, what does truth mean? What is he talking about? Is this the capital T truth of the gospel? Or is this more of the idea of honesty? Truth in all things, an honest communication of what's really going on. I think, uh, along with other scholars, uh, that this is actually referring to the latter, that this is referring to lowercase t, truth, honesty in all of our dealings. The reason I think this is because Paul is going to assign the gospel and how we stand in that, how that keeps us firm at the end of our passage today here in verse 15. And it might cause a little bit of question when we think about, well, why would Paul talk about this? Of all the virtues that you would assign to a belt, why truth? And I think maybe part of the reason why I might ask this question is because truth has become something of a rarity in our society. We have so much information, but very little truth. And what we have convinced ourselves is that truth is not a precise statement, but more of a hazy range in which there are many multiple ways to skin the cat, so to speak. We've lost the idea that there are truths out there, single, precise statements about the world for which it is worth even dying for. We as Christians should love the truth, should love honesty in all things. Mostly, as we've already seen in Ephesians, Ephesians 4.25 tells us to, therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. It's not just a New Testament concern, but it's in the Old Testament as well. In Proverbs 12.22, it says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But those who act faithfully are his delight. Psalm 25.5 tells us to lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. And finally, in Psalm 119.160 tells us that the sum of your word is truth. Indeed, even our Savior is described as the way, the truth, 
and the life. This is something that should be our absolute focus. Stating what's true and being unapologetic about it. Being willing to seek out what is true, not just to avoid embarrassment, but because we love the truth. So if truth is such an important concept, then why is it such a rare thing to find today? Even amongst ourselves. I think part of At least part of the answer to that is the fact that our sinful flesh resists truth and the effort that it takes to find it. Have you ever thought about how many sins you have to put away in order to seek out what is true? First thing you have to get rid of is your pride. Pride doesn't answer, ask questions. It already knows the answer. So to go out and seek truth means you don't have it already. It's not intuitive you are lacking something. So you've got to go out and find it. That's pride we have to overcome. But there's more than that. It's one thing to know that you're ignorant about something, but it's quite another thing to actually do something about it, isn't it? Have to let our laziness be put to death as well, because finding the truth is difficult, especially today. We would think with the access of Google and being able to come across more information than anybody would have come across in their lifetime just a hundred years ago. It's now actually made finding truth even harder because there's so many more places to look. There's so much more required of us to filter through everything in order to see what is true. So we need to get our impatience under control as well as we are seeking all of this. And then finally, we have to get rid of our pride again when we find something is true that we thought was a lie. Or when we find something is a lie that we thought was true. It's extremely difficult to say that we're wrong. I remember I came and I read a a book a number of years ago. It was written by a secular perspective, but it was still fantastic. And the title of the book was called Mistakes Were Made, But Not By Me. We try to put our mistakes in the passive. We don't want to take ownership for the things that we've done because it hurts our head to do that. All of us naturally justify ourselves. The book calls it self-justification. The Bible calls it legalism. We don't want to say that we're wrong. We don't want to say that we're broken. We don't want to say that there is no truth in us but the truth is outside of us. It's also contrary to all of our popular messages today, isn't it? You find the power within you. Live out your true, authentic self is what's down there. No, don't do that. Kevin DeYoung wrote a fantastic title on his latest book that says, Don't Follow Your Heart. (laughs) It's wonderful advice because that's not where truth is. Truth is in here. We come across a lot of information. But there is no such thing as information without interpretation, as I heard someone say this week. Everything that happens in our world needs to be interpreted to what it means. It's one thing to say, so-and-so is the president of the United States. That's a fact. But there is interpretation on that. What does that mean that so-and-so is the president of the United States? 
When we look into what happened in Sylacauga this past week, we can't go into the Bible to find out the information of what happened in Sylacauga this week, but it absolutely is the only place that will tell us how to interpret what happened in our town this week or in our hearts this week. We received a lot of sad news this week. There were facts that two faithful servants of the Lord were called home. You can even hear the interpretation of what the facts are in just how I've phrased that. We take these deaths and we run them through the grid of the scriptures. That's where we find truth. That's where we find honesty in our interpretation of these facts. But it requires us to humble ourselves, to seek these things out. I remember one of my seminary professors, as they were teaching us how to prepare sermons and how to interpret the Bible, they said, it was Dr. Ross, I think, he had told us, never when you read your commentaries, pick out which interpretation based on what you like. So often we can read something and it seems to resonate with something inside of us. It's like, ooh, well, that must be right because I really like how that's been phrased. That's a terrible way to do Bible study. Because all of us bring our own resonance, don't we? We can resonate and often do with error. It's often the things that we don't resonate with. Those things that clash with the music that our heart sings is often where we find what's actually true. That's what we seek out when we come to the Bible. What does the Bible say? That's where we find our interpretations of it, not just the things that we like. So we can see, as before we move on to the breastplate of righteousness, we can see how this piece is so important. If we're willing to tolerate error, if we're willing to be dishonest, you're not going to be effective on the battlefield. You're going to be tripping over yourself all the time. But when we're willing to humble ourselves... Seek out what is true. Run everything through the grid of the Bible. Well, then we're not going to be tangled up in ourselves. We'll be able to be more effective on the battlefield. Is that how you approach truth? Are you willing to interrogate any thought that pops into your head and say, why do I think that? Where did I get that from? Am I just taking that because that's what I saw on TV or because I said I saw something that was the opposite of what they said on TV? Am I thinking this because this is grounded in God's word? It's a good question to ask ourselves as we put on this belt of truth. But that's not all that God has given to us. He tells us also that he has given to us the breastplate of righteousness. When we look at this breastplate of righteousness, one of the first questions that we should ask is, where does this righteousness come from? Whose breastplate are we wearing? Is it Jesus's or is it our own righteousness? There is a sense, and we'll be very careful as we unpack this, but there is a sense in which it is both. But I want us to lean and remember that it's Jesus' righteousness that protects us in battle. Jesus has done all that we need for salvation. He did all the things we were supposed to do. 
and avoided all the things that we weren't supposed to do. Went to the cross to pay for all the things that we weren't supposed to do. All the sin, heinous crimes we've committed against God. He's taken them all away and now clothes us in his righteousness. That is the only reason why we will ever be able to stand before God one day. That is going to be the reason why we will be victorious with Christ in battle is because he is shielding the vital organs of our spiritual life with his righteousness. Now that being said, we are called to be in conformity to Christ's image. That it isn't just sitting back and let God do his thing. But God has invited us in the power of the Holy Spirit to live a holy life. And what this does is this will make you more effective on the battlefield when you are living a holy life. A perfect example of this is King David. King David, for all of his successes, is usually known for the sin that he committed with Bathsheba. Now, in that moment, was David condemned to hell forever for committing this very heinous sin? No. David still is worshiping at the throne of Jesus today because of Christ's righteousness on his behalf. But could David have been a much more effective king if he hadn't have done that? Answer is yes. It's very hard to run a kingdom when your son is trying to kill you. It's very hard to run a kingdom when the sword is constantly at your house. Now, did God work in dis- despite that sin? Absolutely. That's one of the wonderful things about God. We can't throw off his plan. But wow, it is much more pleasant to stay in what God has called us to do. Scripture tells us that the way of the sinner is hard. Keeping our holiness in check is what will make us a more effective soldier for Christ. Our sin does have consequences. Does it take away our salvation? No. But does it lessen our enjoyment of our salvation? Absolutely. Can God still work through sinners? 100%. Will you feel as effective as you go through those things? No. Perfect example of this, if you ever had the opportunity to share the gospel, but you didn't because you thought to yourself, I'm not worthy to do this. I didn't do my devotions today, so I'm not as powerful to give the gospel. Well, you can repent of that wrong thinking, but those emotions are still there, aren't they? Leading a holy life will lead us to greater effectiveness for him. And that should always be our focus as we go about our lives. Again, this is by the Holy Spirit's power. This is not something we gin up on our own. Power doesn't lie inside of us any more than truth does. But it's a relying on him, getting up every day and admitting to God once more, God, I can't do this. I need you to do it. All those same sins in order to get truth have to be put to death in order to do that, isn't it? A recognition that we need to be in prayer, we need to be in our Bible reading because we're not sufficient for these things. We can't live a holy life by ourselves. We need him. Constantly coming back to him so that we can avoid these consequences of sin 
which so easily trip us up. But finally, as we come to our second point, we look at standing with peace in the midst of war. Finally, we get to verse 15 as we talk about the shoes that God gives to us. Verse 15 says, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We don't typically think about shoes as armor, particularly when it comes to Roman shoes, because they would have been sandals. Feet would have been exposed. But really, the, the technology is not what was on top of the sandal, but what was underneath it. There would have been little metal studs, a lot like what we see in modern cleats today, that would have been used to grip the ground as you would be standing and moving around. Any of you who have ever experienced vertigo or dizziness know how much a firm standing on the ground means. Just a little bit of unsteadiness in our feet can change everything about how we live. The Romans got that. You couldn't be an effective soldier if you were sliding around a muddy battlefield. But if you could stand firm and locked and know that your feet were sure, you could concentrate on everything else that was going on, knowing that you weren't going to fall down in the middle of the battlefield. So what is it that gives us this firm standing? Is it a comprehension of how good we're doing in our Christian life? No. It's a recognition of the gospel. It's a recognition that Christ has paid for all of our sins and has fulfilled every righteous requirement that God has for us. And that those gifts can be applied to you today. We so often think the gospel is for other people. Either because we think we're too good or because we think we're too bad. It's like, no, 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 Jesus is for good people. Like, no, 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 no. Jesus is for bad people. We have to recognize that we're bad people in order for Jesus to seem precious to us. That's where we get our firm standing. That's how we fight this battle. If we fight this battle with a thought that we're the ones that have to keep ourselves in the fight, that we're the ones that have to stand until the end, that we're the ones that God is counting on to win his ultimate victory, we'll never stand. The moment we forget the gospel and our hearts are inclined to forget the gospel every day, we walk on a slope constantly pulling us away from the gospel because that's how our hearts work. Constantly strapping on these shoes every day, reminding ourselves that Jesus has paid the cost of our sin and that he loves us and that we are sure in him. This is the gift that God gives to us to fight this spiritual war. So if you're here today... And you don't have assurance of your salvation. You're not sure if the gospel really is for you. Well, it is for you. And I would love to show you how that can be found. Come and see me afterwards.
is our God reigns. He gives you assurance to fight. And not only that, I think there's not only a sense in which we're able to stand firm in the gospel, but I think, as other commentators had pointed out, that there is a sense in which these shoes give us the strength to continue onwards. Points out from Isaiah 52, 6 and 7, says, Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day they shall know that it is I who speak, and here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. One scholar put it this way. Although some believe that Paul's imagery and explanation of the armor indicates that Christians are to take only a defensive stand, this perspective is probably too narrow. The shoes signifying the, the readiness given by the gospel of peace suggests that we should be prepared to advance the gospel message wherever God calls us. Does this mean like, he has given you shoes to walk, to take this good news to a world? This is how we work in our world. This is how we bring peace to it. So what's our takeaway from all these pieces of armor? And we'll see this theme developed more as we look at the other pieces of armor in the coming weeks. All these tools come from God, but we are commanded to take them up. They're put in your hands. Are you going to use them? Or are we going to continue fighting with flesh and blood with our own carnal weapons. What are we going to do? Going to put on those shoes every day? Going to strap on that belt every day? Going to remind yourself where your righteousness comes from every day? These are the tools. Preparation for spiritual war doesn't happen on cruise control. John Piper often speaks of what he calls a wartime lifestyle. In World War II, it was a national effort to win the war. You can actually see if you can find some pieces where they're trying to motivate the citizenry in order to use less gas. They would have, they would encourage carpooling. I remember one that had a picture of a guy who was in a car by himself that says, when you drive by yourself, you take Hitler with you. And this little ghost figure of Hitler sitting in the passenger seat. Yes. <laughs> we think Twitter was savage. It was <laughs> but what this calls to mind was that everything in their lives was directed towards winning the war. How they allocated rubber. How they allocated metal. How they allocated food. People grew gardens. They took personal responsibility, even if they couldn't go overseas. Everything that they did was for the war effort. Guys, we're not in a world war. We're in the war for the universe. It's a spiritual war that we're fighting. The stakes are much higher. But the victory is much more sure. 
So when everything in your life is contributed towards the war, it's not a waste. I could imagine at the time as people were giving up their rubber, trying to carpool and growing gardens, of the anxiety of, well, what happens if we lose? Then all that I've done is in vain. Worked all this time for nothing. It's always the risk in an earthly war. But here, everything that you give to the war effort is worth it. Victory is assured, people. So empty yourselves and get to stand with your victorious general one day and say, I left it all on the battlefield. I knew we would win. And it's so good to see you. This is the promise. This is the victory. So stand. Take on what he's given to you. And stand with peace in the midst of war. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we do thank you for this time that we've had together in your word. Lord, we thank you for the gifts that you give to us to fight this battle. That you let us participate in this. So, Lord, let us participate. Give us a perspective that sees the world as you see it. That we would not be distracted with all of the little battles that we see here in our day-to-day lives. Or that we would be focused on the war. That we would be boldly led to victory by the captain of our salvation. Lord, help us strap on this belt of truth. Let us be honest in all that we do, no matter how large or small. Let us keep a watchful eye, not only on our doctrine, but also on how we live that doctrine. As one pastor of mine said. And Lord, let us stand with confidence our shoes firmly anchored in the ground that you've won. Give us boldness to step forward as we proclaim the gospel to the nations. Lord, we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.